0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Alright, so uh, we, we are... Um, yeah, we started the year... Uh, started the year... Uh, looking at our vision and values which is uh, probably part of the reason why uh, people say that I need to go and explore these trips and have these opportunities which I'm incredibly grateful for Uh, we want to be a a community uh, that we want to be a church transforming our community in the name of Jesus we want to do that in ways by being present in relationships by being authentic in our relationships uh, by being people of courage and by being by being generous people. And that's in in our heart and our expression uh, with God and the relationship with God and understanding too that our relationship with God is actually an imitation into a relationship with one another. And with one another, I mean by us here and by our workplaces, by our neighbourhoods, our families, our community, wherever we are. Um, So I'm really mindful that as I go to India and Indonesia, we are there, the Horsham Church of Christ. Uh, the wider church as well, the church that God is building. Uh, we really want to be exploring the person, the ministry and the invitation of Jesus all year. We really wanted to drill down a little bit in who Jesus was and how he expressed his life and how the impact that that relationship or the person of Jesus had with uh, other people. Um, if you're new to the church, if you're exploring who Jesus is, uh, we want to welcome you today and we look forward to uh, travelling with you and exploring all this with you. And You might hear some weird ideas, that's okay. Uh, just go and ask God to reveal more to you and understand or put aside what you don't understand. But we just want to keep travelling uh, together. So last week uh, we began a new series exploring the gift of relationships uh, and hopefully over the next few weeks, uh, you'll see that gift continue to unfold. But more than a surface gift, this is about estab- or more than a surface relationship. this is about establishing meaning- meaningful friendships as an expression of the church, as a way in which um, God ministers amongst us. So last week, uh, we explored and unpacked the gift uh, quite simply to greet one another. And I know that some of you absolutely loved this last week. Uh, Room full of people, you were buzzing last week. You were bouncing around in the chapel and out in the foyer going around. You were waving hello to everybody. You were going from person to person, uh, seeing how many times you could say hello before you walked out those doors yesterday. Andrea, uh, last week, Andrea just told me that she had a go this week. She did a few extra shifts at Cheeky Fox. Um, and she thought she'd have a go at seeing how many times she said hello. Uh, she picked field days week to start doing that. Uh, she gave up about the first 15 minutes. It was too hard to keep track of how many people uh, she said hello to, but she got up to about 50 within 15 minutes, she thought. So um, some of you were, you know, this was saying hello, just greeting someone, going and meeting someone new. You were buzzing, you were firing. And others of you, you probably thought, oh, please don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. That's okay, we've all got our personality. I want us to understand this. We all come with our personality, we all come with our differences, the way that we do engage, uh, how many people we can engage with. Some of you will be here this morning, you'll go home, you'll be exhausted, you've been around too many people, and others of you, you want to go and have another party after today. Um, That's just how we're wired, different wiring amongst us. So after we greet one another, it seems a natural flow that we introduce someone. And this is what we want to explore a little bit today. Uh, now, this can be really awkward. You know, if if you're finding hello difficult, um, introducing someone, and perhaps that someone could be yourself, might be another level that's really uncomfortable as well. Uh, but it's the other thing is it's really awkward for a couple of different reasons. <clears throat> So you know those moments where you you build up, some of us build up the courage and we think, right, I'm going to go and say hello to a new person. I don't know that person. I haven't spent much time talking to that person. So you bowl up full of confidence and you go, G'day, I'm Simon. Hi. Oh, man, you're going to make me work for it. Your name is? Jared. Good, okay. Is this your first time here? No, I've been here six months. Um you're in trouble aren't you so some of us some people um you feel awkward about it some of those conversations uh it's really hard some of you are more skilled like uh, there's a few people like i, th- I think probably someone like ian Ruell, uh rick walker faye smith Uh, Faye and Neville Smith together, they're just amazing at starting these new conversations. Uh, Linda Oman's very good at it as well. A few people around us are very good at starting these new conversations. Oh man, sometimes I struggle. And then the other side of the awkwardness is that when you bowl up to someone, you say, g'day I'm, and before you've even said your name, they've told you their name, their address, their life story, where they're working, how much trouble they've been in, what they're doing next week, what surgery they're having, even if you don't need to know what surgery they're having and how long the recovery is going to take. You had those kind of conversations? Both of those. Some of you, does anyone love those kind of conversations? Oh no, no one's honest. Someone is. Dynafax, you superstar. So some people need, you really got to draw it out like hen's teeth. And others, they're just ready to tell you their story. I uh, have been involved in a number of different things uh, in my time in Horsham. And I've tried to uh, get involved in different community activities and different community initiatives and ideas. And they do the, you know, sitting around the table and they're introducing yourself. You know those kind of, we all love that kind of warm-up game, don't we? Um, How many people love that warm-up game? Tell us about yourself. Yeah, look, you know, man, wow. I only do it because I feel like we have to. You know, so... um, So we're sitting in these organisations, they're going around the table, you know, there's welfare agencies, there's hospital agencies and the whole time I'm thinking, oh I know how this is going to go, what am I going to say that's going to make it sound really good, really impressive, like I belong here and it gets to me and I go with something like, I'm Simon from the Horsham Church of Christ and again those crickets just spread around the room, there's just this heaviness that comes and I think some of it's suspicion about what do you want what I really need to say and never really quite works like that um, I feel like people are suspicious and cautious but I had a thought, I need to say I'm Simon working in human relations in a multinational company, influencing and transforming the globe (laughs) why can't I think of that Um, but anyway but the other side, that's actually really good, isn't it? <laughs> See, it took me all week to think of that. Um, but the problem is, it can be too easy to assume. The way, the, the way some organisations, if I go and sit around those tables, they say, oh, someone from the church, what do they want? And, or there's suspicion or caution about it. But we're all very good at that, whether we like it or not. I think we all have a concept of how we view other people. How we experience other people and that becomes the lens we it's too easy to see others it's an inconvenience or a disruption or kind of put people in a basket somewhere and say this is the kind of person that they are or this temperament this personality and it actually increases disconnection and loneliness but actually to introduce someone requires all of us to think a little bit differently and outside the box so introduce to introduce this I wanted to tell the story from Luke chapter 7, or read firstly the story from Luke chapter 7. And if you've got your Bibles or your version, feel free to follow along, however you've got your Bible. Um, Jesus has been really active in ministry, doing some powerful things, preaching the Word, uh, calling disciples to come and follow Him. And then we read this story in Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees, uh, a religious leader, an important person, seen as an important person, someone of status in a local town, Uh, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, reclined, it's not like you've got a lazy boy at these tables. Um, You're essentially laying on the floor with your head close to the table, leaning against your elbow, picking at the food, and your feet going out, All right, just to give you some kind of image. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, I want you to listen here. I want you to listen to how people, we already know this woman is sinful. The author has already seen this as an important statement to say that this woman is known by her sin. Or because of her sin. In verse 38, as she stood behind Jesus, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet. So this Pharisee doesn't even fully understand who Jesus is, only calling him a prophet. He would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You see how we can so easily put people in baskets. Now, maybe we're not so brazen to walk around and say, oh, that, woman, that person, that woman, that man, they're a sinner. But I think we, are, we can be very good at uh, looking at people or knowing our experience of people, and that becomes the defining feature of them. Now, Jesus goes to tell a story, and he tells a story about forgiveness and how we respond out of forgiveness, out of understanding how much we have been forgiven and how we express that forgiveness. And then he goes on, And I just really want to focus on one statement, one question that Jesus asks. He turns toward the woman, so he's looking at the woman, weeping over his feet, not even paying any attention to the man who invited him to his house, so get the power of that image. And he asks the question of the host, do you see this woman? Now, Jesus isn't denying that she's a sinful woman. Jesus isn't justifying, explaining, or even defending her. He is asking his host, do you see her? Do you see her? I think it's a great question as we think about what it might be like to introduce someone or even introduce ourselves. Um, The first part in being able to introduce someone is... Seeing someone, <laughs> but seeing someone beyond our experience, and I'll get, I'll unpack that a little bit more shortly. But um, not everyone could accept Jesus, not everyone wanted to be in a relationship with him. Some could talk to Jesus as master and then move to Lord. A Pharisee referred to Jesus or understood Jesus only as a prophet, so there's some gap there about his understanding as well. Not every introduction moved into friendship. But Jesus continued to make himself available. There is, how other people responded didn't determine how Jesus continued to engage with people or see people. See, we know what it's like, as I said, to walk in a room and make, or have someone walk in a room and make up our mind about them. And maybe we've made up our mind because of past experiences. And maybe it's fair enough that we've made up our mind. There could be valid reasons as to why we need to protect ourselves. If someone walked into this house today, and some of us might have a cold chill going down our spine, it would be a story, or it would be a a relationship, or a conversation that would cause us to have warning about that person maybe. And maybe some of it's about toxic relationships or relationships where trust has been broken. That's okay. We need to have that sense of safety. We need to have those boundaries around us. We need to have that awareness and that discernment about people. But what that one relationship cannot do is prevent us from being in a relationship with other people. Because that relationship, as toxic as it might have been, or as destructive as it might have been, or as unsafe as it might have been, certainly has provided us with lessons to go into another relationship. Does that make sense? And I think Jesus has this great capacity to do this and sets a great model example of what it is to be like, you know, when people are pushing against him and accusing him and blaming him or saying what he should and shouldn't do, or having people come to him who shouldn't come to him, Jesus makes himself available. We need the challenge that we have is we can guard against other people so much that we are here but never really present that we notice without really ever seeing anybody. So yes, we might need to be guarded with some people. We might need to be cautious in some relationships. We might need to put safety boundaries. We might need to be sure that we don't trust some people because they've broken that trust. But that doesn't mean that we can live a guarded life. That's a sad life to live. The reality about friendships that many of us will know is that a few, only a few, will last a lifetime. Many of us will have a few friendships that we've had maybe 1, 2, 10, 20 years. And maybe we can count them on one hand. You're doing pretty well if you can do that. That's a gift that not everybody has. Others of us have friendships that have been seasonal where we're there and we're all in and they've been in all in for us and then when that kind of circumstance and that situation fades away, it just kind of slowly peters out. Or well, the conversations change or we change or we have children and they don't have children or we get married and they don't get married or we move away and despite email, Facebook and phones, the relationship changes. We change, they change. But we are always invited to look and to see, I think, beyond our own perceptions, our own ideas, or what I want to say to be able to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. Another story here for you. Uh, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. So this is in Acts chapter 9. The early church had been going boom. Uh, This is just after... um, Saul had had this conversion experience on the way to Damascus uh, and he, he encounters the living Lord. He, Saul becomes Paul uh, and at the moment he's blinded. You'll see how this unfolds. So Ananias, the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask, Straight Street, how original is that? Like, mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, just ticking my fancy just then. Uh, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him uh, to restore his sight. <laughs> Just capture that there for a sec. Saul, who was persecuting the church, has already had a vision about how he's have his res- sight restored. Ananias Answers. Lord, verse 13, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Lord, this is what I know. This is my experience. This is what others have said to me. This is what I have seen. This is my perception. This is my experience. Are you kidding me right now, God? And that he has come here. It's not even just what I've heard, but I know he is on his way with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who can on your name. Now, you probably know you're going to be in a fair bit of trouble if you're arguing with God. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias said, Oh, beauty, if he's going to suffer for it, let's go. No, he didn't say that at all. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice the shift? What needs to happen in your heart or in the heart of Ananias, in my heart and in my head to move from, I have heard reports about this man and all the harm he has done and the authority that he has given to arrest everyone who proclaims your name to call this same man brother. What needs to happen to move our attitude and our mindsets from being fearful to family? Now please don't misunderstand me. This isn't about placing ourselves in toxic, destructive relationships. This is about being open to the call, the vision and the work of the Holy Spirit and the relationships that the Holy Spirit might be asking us to be proactive in. Okay, so it's, it's not about you, if you're, unless you're feeling called by God, I'm not asking you to jump back into toxic, unhealthy relationships. Because I don't think that's the heart of the Father either. But to have eyes opened. So this one introduction becomes a powerful witness and expression of love. This one introduction, one introduction becomes the source of 75% of our New Testament. Wrap your head around that. And it's enough that Paul, it's enough of a witness that Paul actually remembers Ananias in his testimony. As Paul is telling his testimony in in defense, uh, he says, he stood beside me. He stood beside me. Why is that so important that Paul says that, do you think? (laughs) You can come and talk to me later. Tom's ready to answer the question. Hot cross buns and everything. Well done. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. One introduction. Anyone know what happened to Ananias after that? Nope. That's it. That's all we know about Ananias. Acts chapter 9. Acts 22, there's a couple of other Ananias throughout the Scriptures, but this one particularly, one introduction, changed the world. See, part of our problem, I think at times, is that we like the heroes of the faith. You know, we celebrate the Paul, we celebrate the Peter, we celebrate the Moses, we celebrate um, the Marys, the Elizabeths. People who have done great things, achieved great things, accomplished great things, built great things. The impact is immediate and it's seen. But what if we were the people who introduced that one? 200 people here, and if we introduced one person to someone else, and if we introduced one person to Jesus, and they became the catalyst for changing our world. It's pretty dynamic, isn't it? Ananias is a hero because he was obedient. He releases Paul into his calling because he said yes to his part. A small yes can have a large influence. A small yes can have a large influence. Introducing someone who has the capacity capacity to transform lives, both theirs, yours and others. And we need to be mindful as I said earlier of our approach and we need to be sensitive to personalities but how others receive that gift is up to them. How we receive the gift when we're introduced to others is up to us. I know that I've had uh, conversations with people at various times and particularly in the changing nature of the church, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to do this series, was because we recognize our church is changing dramatically. And there's things that happen like, you know, we go up and we introduce ourselves and that person's been around for six months and we just haven't seen them. It's okay. It's okay. Or um, we go up and uh, introduce ourselves and uh, they say, oh yeah, we met you last week and you've forgotten their name. It's okay. You're probably only going to get one or two shots at it, but it's okay. We're human and we all understand that. And that's not an excuse. That's actually a, a motiva- motivation to actually say, yeah, I might be human, but hey, I've got to have a crack at this again. Because we don't want to be people of fear. We want to people who create family and friendships. And that's changing and it's awkward and it can be messy but it's okay because I believe God's got this and he actually wants us to continue to do this. I think he set examples throughout scriptures about small introductions that have had large influences. We can admit our mistakes, we can acknowledge and, we can re- and if you're forgetting people's names, just repeat it. I don't, if you have to repeat their name 25 times in a 30 second conversation, you won't forget their name again. But introducing someone creates opportunities. It creates opportunities so that people feel welcome. It creates opportunities so that people know that they, we're interested. They're seen or known. And they're safe. I can't, I can't quite imagine how Paul must have been feeling as he showed up to the house of Ananias. Ananias. Knowing he was the one that had been in a position of power and authority, the one who had been about destroying and persecution, I I, I can only imagine what must have been going through his head and his heart at that time as he knocked on that door. I can only imagine what might have been happening for Ananias as he welcomed Paul into his house. But to see Paul, to see Paul as the Lord had seen him, That's some kind of obedience right there, isn't it? And the greatest introduction we can make is to invite people to discover a relationship with Jesus. Now I want us to take a deep breath here because we all have ideas about what this looks like. Listen to these texts. I know we're moving around a bit, but I hope it's really helpful and something you can take away. Izzy, can you press the down arrow for me, please? No, it's packed it in order... Oh, that's right. No, John chapter 1. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, early in Jesus' ministry, as recorded as the Gospel of John. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see Philip found Nathanael and told him we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph Nazareth can anything good come from here Uh, there, sorry, Nathanael asked come and see now if you had someone asking you about Jesus, do you reckon you could say those three words come and see Now that's not necessarily come to church, it might depend on your relationship, it might depend on the conversations. It might be, come along to a Sunday service and just see. No pressure. Just come and see. John chapter 4, then leaving her water jar, the woman, remember, John chapter 4 is the woman uh, at the well, Samaritan woman at the well. Another woman, another sinful woman, shock horror. Um, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see. A man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? That's all she needed to say for that whole town to come out and see Jesus. Could it be that because, and I say shock horror about another woman, another sinful woman or seen as a sinful woman, because this is the whole story of Jesus. Jesus encountering and seeing and introducing himself to the people that he shouldn't have been. And this one statement from this one woman, this woman who had, it seems to be ostracized and cast out and neglected, not part of the community, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And it's not a statement of fear, do you hear that? It's not a statement of shame, it's just this truth. This man, he knows everything. Could this be the Messiah? Could the, he still accepts me. Could this be the Messiah? This one man, despite everything that I've ever done, he knew that I was married multiple times and the guy I was living with now wasn't my husband and I feel the best I've ever felt. Could this be the Messiah? Would you like to come and see that kind of guy? See, introducing people to Jesus is giving an opportunity for them to discover Jesus for themselves. We don't need to explain or argue all the objections within the first 30 minutes of a conversation. We need to travel the road with people. We need to travel the story. We need to speak life. But maybe you could start with, come and see. Maybe we don't even have to explain who Jesus is from a philosophical theological point of view but to simply say this man changed my life and this is how and we invite people to come and see your invitation your introduction could be the difference father we want to thank you for who you are we thank you that you are a good good father we thank you for your love We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you for your heart, for all people to come to know you, that you don't want anyone, you don't want anyone to miss out on knowing you. So Father, we want to pray that for those of us who are faithful followers of Jesus, may you grant us courage in the introductions that we make both of ourselves and of you, and of who you are and who you are to us. Father, for those who are sitting here who aren't sure about who you are, may we be around those people. May they seek you out and seek to be introduced to you. May we have the courage to discover you, to come and see who you are. Holy Spirit, continue to speak life and peace and grace and courage over us. In all our stories, in all our experiences, in all our hardships, in all our questions, in all our struggles, may we know what it is to submit to you. So that we would walk faithfully in your way, so that when you call our name, we say, yes, Lord. Thank you. In your name, amen.